Time now for this week's quote of the week. Well, there's a culture war going on in many areas of education, so prominent in the U.S., where a major blowback by parents is taking place over the application of what's called critical race theory. Wall Street Journal's Peggy Noonan writes in quotes, go to social media sites and search school board meeting, adding descriptors like explosive, outrage, and chaos. Parents are rising up, up in arms. And with the Ontario grade nine math curriculum stating in quotes, mathematics has been used to normalize racism and marginalization of non-Eurocentric mathematical knowledges and a decolonial anti-racist approach to mathematics education makes visible its historical roots and social constructions, end of quote. Well, that's borrowed directly from the U.S. So you know the culture war is also heating up in Canada. Which brings me to my quote of the week. Peter Bogazian is an assistant professor of philosophy at Portland State University. He's an uh, author. His academic focus is on atheism, critical thinking, scientific skepticism, uh, Socratic method. Writing in the Wall Street Journal, he states, you've almost certainly heard some of the following terms, cisgender, fat shaming, heteronormativity, intersectionality, patriarchy, rape culture, and whiteness. The reason you've heard them is that politically engaged academicians have been developing concepts like these for more than 30 years. And all that time, they've been percolating. Only recently have they begun to emerge in mainstream culture. These academicians accomplish this by passing off their ideas as knowledge, that is, as if these terms describe the facts about the world and social reality. And while some of these ideas may contain bits of truth, they aren't scientific. By and large, they're the musings of ideologues, end of quote. I'll add that they do a good job exacerbating divisions in society. Time now for the shocking stat of the week. You remember all that talk about innovation? It's the key to both our social and economic future. I think it's the buzziest of buzzwords. I mean, looking back at the 2018 federal budget, the, world in, the word innovation was used 196 times. I guess that's why it was such a concern when the supercluster fund, which was based on focusing on innovation, and it was projected to produce 50,000 jobs, but the parliamentary budget office says now maybe like 4,000. But that brings me to my shocking stat of the week. This is a report by Australia's To Think Now. It ranked, I think it was 169 cities across the world, major centers, on 162 indicators. Well, in a nutshell, Canada's major urban centers felt like a stone when it came to innovation. Toronto, which finished in, as the 10th most innovative city in the world in 2019, fell to 43rd. Vancouver and Calgary, Vancouver's ranked 36th, Calgary 89th in 2019, didn't even make the top 100. Now, I don't think these kinds of surveys are the be-all to end-all, but they are worth noting if there's a trend developing, especially in conjunction with the relentless drop we've had in capital investment in Canada. We've had a declining competitiveness ranking. So I'm taking a look at that, and I see that, and it hardly spells good news. Noteworthy, though, is Christopher Heyer, he's the director of Two Think Now, blames the performance on Canadian government policies that stifle competition. You know, it's interesting to think, though, the drop in our competitiveness or the drop in capital investment isn't even on the political agenda. I bet it's not in the top 10 issues mentioned by politicians, despite the fact that it'll have a major impact on our standard of living. I just keep coming back to that comment by Alex Usher, who's the president of Higher Education Strategy Associates, Associates states, politically, there is no longer 
a political home for growth-oriented policies in Canada. And it seems like an awful lot of us haven't figure out, figured out yet the cost of that. Goofy Award. Well, mass protests in Cuba over what protesters call the shortages of the necessities of life. And we're starting with food and medicine. And by the way, the Cuban government refused help with COVID. They wanted to develop their own vaccine. And it's had devastating results, the failure there. But food, you had literally women crying, our children are starving to death. Not a problem for the communist elites, by the way. They're not starving. They're the ones who run the country. Every major human rights organization chronicled the torture, imprisonment of political opponents, the re-education camps for homosexuals. As Mike Gonzalez wrote in the Wall Street Journal 17 years ago, he said, many Cubans were killed. Others went to prison. Millions had their dignity trampled daily because of the left's love affair with a tyrant many considered picaresque. Yet so many in the West ignored the tragedy of the people. I'm talking celebrities like Robert Redford, Oliver Stone, Ted Turner. It's the same, by the way, with Nicolas Maduro's regime in Venezuela. Exemplified by the support of major unions in Canada, like Unifor, Canadian Union of Postal Workers, Ontario Secondary School Teachers Federation, along with support from the Canadian Union of Public Employees, the United Church of Canada, rabble.ca, all lauding Venezuela's election as a strong and vibrant democracy. Well, you know what? The Organization of American States Panel and Human Rights Experts, that was with people from Canada, Argentina, Chile, uh, Colombia, Paraguay, Peru, conducted hearings into the election and concluded that Maduro's regime should be referred to the International Criminal Court for Crimes Against Humanity, including th- excuse me, thousands of cases of murder, torture, and imprisonment against political opponents. But yet we had some Canadian unions applauding. But none has won the adulation of the left like Fidel Castro has in Cuba. As Mark Stein wrote, the enduring sheen of revolutionary chic is in forlorn contrast to the decrepitude of the real thing. The real thing? Well, it hit the streets this week. Thousands protesting throughout the country, demanding freedom from the communist regime. While many leftists in Europe abandoned their support of Castro in the early well, gosh, I, think, I can remember it in 2002, 2003, 2004. Remember 2004, Castro imprisoned 77 dissidents, including some artists and poets. There was the summary execution of three men caught trying to escape Cuba by boat. Literally, they were caught, executed the next day. Well, that had a lot to do with it. That was enough. No mass for many of the Euro- uh, European left. But not in Canada. We're turning a blind eye to human rights violations and totalitarianism is still in vogue. Two leaders of the federal, well, in the upcoming election, Prime Minister Trudeau, NDP leader Jagmeet Singh, both lauded Fidel Castro. Are you kidding? When he died in 2016. Well, maybe that's because Mr. Trudeau's, is, as I say, the apple doesn't far from his tree. Pierre Trudeau called Castro a friend, and this was during the height of the extreme human rights abuses. You can't get away from this. I'll leave the final word to celebrated economist Thomas Sowell. How a man who holds the entire population of a country as his prisoners and punishes the families of those who escape can be admired by people who call themselves liberals is one of the many wonders of the human mind's ability to rationalize. Yet such is the case with Fidel Castro. 
Well, the people are in the streets and they're there for good reason.